Welcome to the Collapse, everybody. We have a great episode here uh, talking about uh, the RNC, DNC, and the uh, People's Convention. The People's Convention, thank you. And this is the double barreled fucking horrors of uh, Kenosha and Portland, as well as just general leftist. Uh, yeah, we're going to sprinkle internet. some all kinds of shit in there. It's definitely great. And with me, I have Armand Azetti. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, without further ado, welcome to the collapse. I, I saw like half of the people's convention today. Um, yeah. it was pretty fucking long though. Like <laughs> it was like five hours, uh, and I had other things to do. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't watch the whole thing. Uh, well, I'm not gonna lie. I tuned into the people's convention for five seconds. I said, um, you know, we can't have the revolution without art, without dance. And then I immediately <laughs> left. <laughs> and not that I like disagree. Well, I mean, I do. I mean, there's lots of revolutions that don't have art and dance, but yeah. I don't know. I just that the vibe immediately was like, oh. Yeah. It was a what do you call it? Like a sterilized Zoom meeting. Yeah, I think I think I left because I immediately got the impression that I would be cringing during a lot of it. There was some cringe. There were some speeches that were underwhelming. And they even brought over Nico House, which is a bit cringy. But I don't know oh, he's like uh, one of the top Tulsi guys on Twitter. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they had they had good they had they had legit people. I mean, I mean Jesse Ventura, even though he's not like a, a leftist per se. I mean, he has some cred credibility uh, by having won an election before. Uh, they had. Cornell West. I didn't see the latter half. That was Cornell West, Nina Turner, all that. So I'm, I'm gonna. I mean, they, they uploaded it to YouTube. So if you want to skip to the big headliners, you can. Do I that. can do that. Yeah, no. Chris Hedges' speech is pretty fucking good. Oh, Chris Hedges. Wow. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Yeah, dude. No, he's legit. Uh, he's uh, an academic, uh, political Surprise theorist. Winner. He's fucking big. Yeah. No, they had Marianne on. Like they had big names. So I'm not. I'm not like writing it off. They were like. At a given time, ten thousand people watching, and uh, when the uh, when the final video uploaded after after the stream, I think they got like a total of forty four thousand people who tuned in. So that I mean shows some sort of interest in the abstract. Uh, but I thought yeah, I thought it was all right. I I wasn't like I didn't I wasn't I wasn't disappointed by it because I didn't have high expectations to begin with. But I thought it's a good starting point, a good jumping point, and if we can get a couple of good people out of it, I mean. I think it's worth yeah. it. No, I think it's like more, it, it's it's still pretty impressive of a project. Like despite like a seemingly kind of like amateurish vibe at, a, at the convention, um, I think it's still really remarkable that they got like, you know, 60,000 likes in just a matter of months. They're, I honestly think the first credible, um, you know, third party from the left that could actually do something significant in years to come. Like. It, it, there definitely seems to be a uh, like a more united left vibe than the Green Party is ever, you know. Absolutely. Um, it certainly feels like if they wanted to, they could peel off a few percentage points from a 2024 Democratic candidate, um, and they have vowed to do exactly that. <laughs> they should do it. <laughs> very, yeah. It's it's called you know flexing a political muscle. It's called you need us more than we need you. Like, yeah. if you're not going to push 
any of our policies if you're not going to push for Medicare for all. You're not going to push. I mean, even Medicare for all is a, is a compromise. We could, we should be talking about an American NHS, National Health Service, you know. Uh, if we're not going to push for a Green New Deal, I mean, then what use are you? Like, what use yeah. are you if, in, in terms of fighting to end poverty? So I agree with you, man. Like, uh, they often blame the left for their own incompetence and impotence as a political and electoral force. But most of the time they lose because they can't even inspire confidence within their own base. Like, yeah. I think I think a true left spoiler would take at least, like, 10 to 20 percent of the vote much like a ross perot type figure you know like it would be it yeah. would be like a huge a huge uh, margin of, of the electorate so yeah i know man uh, fuck it <laughs> fuck around and yeah. find out i think that that's something we really do need to follow up on <laughs> yeah i mean the the thing is you know a lot of people say like uh politics these days is about bringing out your own base it's not yeah. really it shouldn't or at least theoretically it should be but you know like especially the Democrats don't really believe they, they feel like they have to win over some Republicans to win, which is, you know, ironic because, which I, I feel like that, um, you know, motto applies only to the Democrats, really, or at least mostly, at least overwhelmingly to the Democrats, because at any given point in time, there are way, there are a lot more Democrats in the country than there are Republicans. And polls always show that. They're like, yeah. the, the generic Democratic vote is virtually, or like party identification, is always better, bigger for Democrats by a margin, by like a good somewhere between six to 10 points. You could crush the elections if you want to, you just have to bring the people that already identify with your party to the polls. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I completely agree, man. Like you, you, and it's, it's, they're trying to bring in the, the so-called moderate fringes of the GOP and they're trying to appeal to an electorate that isn't entirely their own. And for that reason, their base isn't as energized. Their base isn't as, you know, enthusiastic. And they suffer because of it electorally. Meanwhile, the GOP is throwing red meat to their base, you know, right, exactly. saying ridiculous shit about, uh, I don't know, how there should be prayer in schools. Or, I mean, they, 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 they go all in on the culture war because that's what they truly, you know, are. They're culture warriors right. uh, in, in contrast to the left, which I think is which is more partial to like an economic based program. I mean, yeah. a lot of, a lot of Republican voters don't really give a shit about, you know, tax cuts or tax credits or any, any sort oh, of no, market-based bullshit. Bullet. It's pure, pure filler information. They yeah. They don't Absolutely. know the deficit. They don't, they exactly. don't even know. <laughs> they don't know. They just say, uh, oh, that's money going to the, the inner cities who I see as, as uh, competing against me. That's what they see it as. Like it's, it's just, culture war bullshit like no, nothing matters to them all so so the democrats playing the other side of the culture war i think is just kind of letting them frame the whole argument and and just seeding on uh, you know ground that ends up disappointing their base because then they just become gop light and yeah i mean, I mean you have two part i mean both major parties the result of that is both major parties are speaking to the same base, which is the Republican base. Like the Republicans are speaking Absolutely. to them because they're like, you know, we, we believe in the same values as you look at, look, clearly you should vote for us. The Democrats are still also speaking to the Republican base by saying, yeah, we know we're different from you, but we're enough like you uh, that maybe some of you, a few of you should vote yes. for us. 
and the Democrat, and thereby the Democrats barely even speak with their own base. So it's like they both, um, yeah, yeah. I know. I I completely. Agree. I mean that that was demonstrated as evident during the uh, you know party conventions the past couple of weeks. Like the DNC was a fucking telethon where they were just you know preaching about oh how we're gonna support Black Lives Matter, how we're gonna you know. Uh, push for diversity and how we're gonna beat this disgusting monster donald trump and then they have uh you know fucking uh, uh defense department like hacks that have been there for 30 years talking about how donald trump's so we can help biden will actually be like you know more more vicious uh overseas against uh, our uh quote-unquote enemies in in you know the uh in the middle east and in uh the old uh you know uh soviet aligned uh fucking cold war era uh, uh boogeyman and uh how also uh oh we're, we're actually not gonna veer to the left they bring in people yeah. like john Kasich saying oh no biden biden's gonna be just fine biden's gonna be uh he's, he's gonna be a, a good old a good old boy from washington that you can rely on to be sensible reasonable moderate which are you know fucking code words for uh, he's he's not going to fundamentally change anything. Uh, he's not going to uh, you know raise taxes on those who need taxes uh, raised on. He's not going to push for you know transformative programs that help pull people out of poverty. He's not going to you know fundamentally change uh, our broken police system. He's he's going to uh, yeah he's going to uphold the same status quo like Otis Trump. So yeah, the DNC the DNC and was not fun at all no. I'll, tell, I'll tell you i thought the rnc was like kind of interesting i don't know about you i felt like it was a little bit more well done yes um apart from like the messaging we can get into the messaging in a sec. did you, oh, did you happen to see that I, I felt like i was crazy because like no one really seemed to think that both moderates and like progressives and socials they didn't really seem to have any comment on how well done the uh, conventions were but having watched the RNC and DNC, I felt like the RNC was just, it was very well polished. Yes. The messaging yes. was like very, like, I, I don't know. I felt like, I was like, I, I kept watching. I was like, yeah, that sounds like something that might convince someone. I didn't really see, see that much in the DNC. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I did already get into the messaging a little bit there. But I also just felt like it was a little bit more, a lot, maybe a lot more professional. I don't know if you thought the same. I completely agree, man, because like the DNC was basically a series of Zoom videos. It was a series of just like, you know, remote interviews, uh, disjointed ads. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't really, you know, it didn't feel like a convention, but the GOP convention, because they really don't give a shit about social distancing. I mean, they had delegates on, on the floor on the first day of the convention when they did the roll call. They, uh, they had, I think, better production value. They weren't inside oh, yeah. the studio. They went to, I think, the Jefferson Memorial, <laughs> and and did did their each speech there. You know, it's just completely jingoistic, yeah. star-spangled banners just thrown all over the stage. Uh, the camera work was more dynamic. It was it was a better produced. It yeah, it was very well done. Like I felt like the DNC was something I could do if you gave me enough time. I was like, yeah, it's just people on a screen. You. You put some videos together and then you have a thing. I didn't really, I felt that like RNZ was a lot more complex. But um, but yeah, as for like messaging, um, 
Yeah, I think like someone, I don't know, there's not much to say about the DNC because it didn't shake anything up really. It was just kind of, someone asked Ed Wesley, a journalist who I think is pretty thoughtful. He's not really extremely progressive or anything, but he said no yeah. policy. He just tweeted one thing, no policies, just vibes. And I was like, that's pretty much all you can say about it. I mean, um, I don't even feel like that's normal for a convention to do. Like, I feel like any convention at any point in history is probably going to say, here, th these are the things we'll do if we come to power. Um, but I feel like the DNC specifically, you know, was just like, was purely emotional. And yes, purely yes. like, and it was, and I think it was, I think they're kind of playing it. They understand that um, they, uh, the people they're peeling that the, the people that are giving them the lead are like white suburbanites. So they're leaning into that strategy very, uh, um, very vociferously. And um, I think it's not, I mean, if you're them, it's not, I don't even know if it's like that horrible of a strategy. Cause if you are trying to win the white suburbanites, that's what I would do too. But the only problem with it is that they're an unstable group of voters. They're a group of people that pretty much did, they voted for Trump once. Like they're not ultra committed to you. Again, like we were talking about, I think the safer strategy is to appeal to your own base in you know, whatever variety of strategies you can do to, to accomplish that. But again, but this is the, you know, the classic, you know, moderate Dem Democrat strategy. It's like you imagine a Republican in your mind and you say, what would they like to hear me say? Um, and that's what they're doing because of that, because of they, they, you know, they've seen the polling. But again, like I said, it's not a stable strategy. And I, quite frankly, I think that's why we get the feeling that, you know, Biden's hands might slip off the wheel at any point here. He's got butter on the, on the steering wheel and he might slip and lose and, and this, his campaign might go crashing because anything could happen that could make those, you know, people who aren't fully committed to Biden are, well, very okay voting for Trump if they feel the need to. Um, that's why we feel that way because um, we, uh, there's a kind of a intuitive understanding that this is not a, this is a shaky lead. This isn't a, a extremely solid lead. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's a lead that's built on, um, these, these moderate Republican voters who, like you said, aren't committed to the party. They aren't committed to actually voting for Biden. Uh, they think that, uh, Trump is this unique evil that they need to help stop. But after that, I mean, it's it's not going to make uh, they're 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 going to swing back to whatever you know shithead the GOP uh, throws on on top of their uh, uh, pile of disgusting monsters uh, that they that they run every uh, two to four years. But uh, but I, I, like you uh, like you alluded to, I I agree that there is a potential for Biden's you know uh, grip to loosen and for the fucking car to crash and explode and kill people. I, I, I think it's more than a potential. I think we're actually experiencing that right now. Um, polls are narrowing down in swing states and some are arguing that that's the result of a convention bump, but at the same time, Biden- We'll see, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it could be, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, but I, I don't know. I mean, Michael Moore sounding the alarm. This is just yeah. feeling like another rerun of 2016. Oh, you know, absolutely. leftists are saying, uh, I don't know, guys. Uh, I'm not sure if he actually has it in the bag. Uh, I'm not sure what the betting markets on predicted say, but I checked the They're average. Tied. They're, They're tied, tied right? Today. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I was about, yeah, yeah no, because I, I looked at the uh, real clear politics average of uh uh, prediction markets and they were practically tied. They were oh, like, sorry, you said predicted. No, I meant RCP. 
Oh, that's what I meant to, yeah. Predict It has gone down remarkably as well. It's 54-47, I believe, which might as well be a tie. That's a coin flip, yeah. So, it yeah, it's it's not it's not in the bag. Uh, the Rust Belt does not look like it's going to be a blue wall like it was 8 to 12 years ago. Uh yeah. I, I, and I'll throw this out here right now on the, on the pod, but I have been saying here and there that uh, Minnesota is probably going to be a toss up state because Trump almost won it by a point and a half, point and a half. Like it was really fucking razor thin in 2016. Uh, I think uh, he has potential to flip that state. Um, and I don't know if uh, Biden will even win back Pennsylvania and Michigan for the Democrats because Trump for all of his, uh, you know, lack of movement on trade and on jobs biden's not really offering much like he had a proposal vibes he's offering vibes vibes. (laughs) you're right i shouldn't be downplaying the vibes i mean that's that's what's really important to your average like swing voter Uh, they want to feel good (laughs) they they even even as like the ship is sinking and they're losing everything so long as they have like a a president who feels their pain that's all that matters right (laughs) Oh man, you know they. Okay, you might have heard that they talked about it on Chapo, but I yeah. just have to reiterate it. Yes. When Biden, you you know what I'm about to say. When Biden mm-hmm. said, "My dad expected, didn't expect the government to solve his problems, but he expected the government to understand them." The I most was like, yeah. that that is this the most horrible thing I've ever <laughs> like. Oh man, how much of a how much of like a bootlicker, like just slave to the system do you have to be? It's, it's to say, mentality. Yeah, I am not owed anything by my own representatives. All I want is the, their their emotional validation. Oh God, that's that that was just disturbing. You can't come up with a more cut statement, dude. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's bad. It's bad. Like it's 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 all bad, and I don't like to like delve into just pure negativity and pure just despair and doom. But I mean, yeah, I know Biden's basically saying, "Oh, I my son died, and I lost a uh, family member." So, uh, buck up, Jack. You're not alone here. Uh, right. But I'm not going to help you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do anything for you. I mean, Biden. Yeah, Biden has had a pretty sad life. Um, and I feel, I feel for him in a sense, but it's also like, it's almost like exploitative almost to sell that as like, I felt pain and I know you are too, but I won't do anything about that. Like that's, it's, it's almost like that simple of a message, you know? And it just comes off as like, yeah, I feel bit, I feel for you, man. And you seem like a, you know, a, I don't know, innocent dude, but you also just have, yeah, don't seem to care enough to do anything about it. It seems to say, yeah, I care, but not enough to do anything. Yeah, man, like, and and not to beat a dead horse, I think that's why he, he that, that could be part of his downfall. It's like, nobody really wants, people want empathy, but nobody wants that to be the only thing they get. Like, empathy is the, is the first step. After that, it's action, you know? Like, oh, I feel bad. I had... I, I had family die. Uh, if I could do anything to prevent that from happening, like I, I could have, but I, I had the best healthcare in the world and that didn't happen. I, I, I wasn't able to actually save my son. Um, and he could say based on that, but it was worth a try. And I think everybody should have a shot 
at fighting this thing instead of yeah. oh my son died so i mean i think it's insulting to re- request uh yeah so love for me. help that's to come it, yeah. yeah that's it so it, it, it's yeah it's uh, it, it's condescending and exploitative at the same time i that's why i think uh at least for me maybe you could call me heartless but the the dead son thing never that hasn't really worked on me lately it's like no, I, I mean it, <laughs> it doesn't work on me in terms of shifting my vote my voting behavior or anything yeah i mean how how did you like the rnc it was it was disappointing because i thought it would be more funny uh there were a few speeches that were interesting i i missed quite a bit of it because i started school and i missed i missed like nights uh two and yeah i think like night two or something but i did watch some of the highlights uh i i i didn't see kimberly guilfoyle speech and i i I do feel sad that i missed it because apparently it was a wild ride uh but i did see a a a good chunk i'm sorry no i missed like nights one and three Uh, i saw a good chunk of night two at the beginning and i i thought to myself if the entire convention would have been like the first half of night two where they were talking about economic issues where they were talking about uh you know being better on trade than democrats have if they were talking about you know uh, people's like material uh uh struggles and, and shit even if it was bullshit if they had focused on that i think i think trump would have gotten a bigger convention bump uh, coming out of it but most of it was just culture war bullshit most of it was yeah. uh talking about antifa talking oh. about anarchists and uh, how the democrats are radical socialists and and claiming that fucking bernie sanders was running the party uh you know in the behind the scenes which again like i think has become like the trope for the past week oh i wish we were the gop's democratic party you know like i i i i i agree with those sentiments i wish we were the gop's democratic party that's not the case i i didn't watch that i probably watched like a fourth of all things happening during rnc but my fate, I'm so happy I caught Cori Bush um, being named. Well, he didn't, she didn't even say her, his, her name, but did you, you know what I'm talking about? Did you see the Cori Bush part? Uh, where they were just showing like different, like, it was like a montage of like people doing well, social shit. Yeah, or I, the guys, I the guys in St. Louis that, that came out with the guns, the yeah. husband and wife, apparently he claimed that she was the one leading the protest. Holy and shit. Yelling at her, him you can't stop the revolution. <laughs> so he basically said it from the, his, he's an enormous mansion. He was in his man, in his like house saying like, you know who did that? It was like the, dem- the, the same woman that was berating me and threatening me and saying, you can't stop the revolution later went on to win the democratic primary just a month later. And now she's representing our district. Holy These shit. radicals, they want power. They're coming for you, and this and that. I'll, I and honestly, I did not know Cory Bush did that, but that is awesome. Like, she, first of all, I I don't think people like understand. I think she's the most radical person in Congress as of like this year. Like, I don't think anyone in the squad is as radical as she is. Oh no, she's down. She has actually like done shit. Yeah, <laughs> she's on the ground. BDS, which is fucking great, honestly. Yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah, boycott, divestment, and sanctions uh, against the state of Israel and the corporations that support it for audience members who, uh, you know, haven't uh, heard. BDS is definitely, I think, I think a program or rather a movement that should be supported by all, you know, left-wingers yeah, who seek totally. office because, yeah, no, Israel is a big part of, uh, you know, the United States, uh, you know, foreign policy uh 
uh, what do you call it, military superstructure. Like it is, it is just a, a behemoth in the Middle East, um, uh, politically speaking. But yeah, no, Cori Bush supporting BDS is huge. And they tried to actually smear her during the primary for her support. Uh, it didn't work, obviously. She yeah. won, but they they actually did that did did like a last minute uh, uh, attack on her for that. So yeah, I she's think legit. She, supports, she proposed like two thousand dollars per month per person retroactive. So if you didn't, so counting previous months as well, I believe that's what that refers to. Um, which, as far as I know, is ex like the most radical like um, response to the. Uh, crisis, economic crisis. Yes. Well, I, if if people don't see it now, we're gonna, we're she's gonna be she's gonna do some really cool stuff. I guarantee it. Oh no, she's worth supporting. Also, sorry. While we're on this point, I just want to say you said earlier like it's hard to like you know there's a lot of doom shit going on, um, and it's hard to avoid that. And but, quite frankly, I feel like, I think the progressive movement is very much like growing, and I think. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of opportunities for progressives. And uh, I, I feel like a lot of leftists these days are just like kind of, yeah, into the doom shit. But I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of opportunities for progressives. That's actually a good segue into like talking about a lot of our doom preaching is based upon the fact that we gave two good shots electorally, yeah, um, absolutely. you know, to take over the Democratic Party and to push for meaningful transformative change. Uh, with, uh, quite frankly, uh, an old uh, white social Democrat, uh, which, you know, in most countries would kind of be like an unlikely vehicle for, <laughs> for change since social Democrats are considered like, you know, moderate left-wingers in most countries. Yeah. But They're not the uh, outsiders. They're not, no. They're very much part of like the neoliberal establish establishment, which which is interesting that that, that kind of shows that a more united left is possible in the United States just because, you know, the, the far right of uh, the capitalist class just has so much, you know, hegemonic uh, political power. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of folks got radicalized because of not not just joining the Bernie campaign or supporting it, but also the defeat. Like the defeat was a major catalyst for a lot of people, you know, moving to the left, myself included. I mean, you know, I was going to say maybe one day we should do like an autopsy of the burn of the Bernie campaign. Um, I don't know if you want to do that right now. I feel like it's a long topic and it could literally fill a whole episode. I'm leaning toward thinking we should do the, the, the Portland violence and like save the Bernie episode. Okay, let's do that then. But yeah, Kenosha yeah. <laughs> and Portland. What, yeah, what the fuck? I mean... I guess we'll just start with Kenosha since that's kind of like the beginning of uh, the, the first th uh, shot fired in this in this whole escalation of of street fights that we've been seeing for the yeah. last like well I mean if you if you peg the beginning at Ferguson the last six years this little fucking fascist shit Kyle Rittenhouse <laughs> is seventeen year old who lives in Northern Illinois. And I may be, get some facts wrong because, again, this is like a, a story that's continually updating. Uh, drives up to Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is like south of uh, Milwaukee, close to the Illinois-Wisconsin state border. He goes to some business to help guard it. Uh, and they're like, you know, eyewitness uh, video accounts here and there of him 
And this is, I think, this is just softening up his character. He's he's cleaning up uh, graffiti. He's offering me- medical help to anybody who needs it, including BLM protesters. Like he's he he seems to be this this fucking kid with baby fat who doesn't look like he could hurt a fly. Uh, and then he fucking murders two people in cold blood and uh, and uh, like almost mortally wounds a third. Uh, and the chain of events has been disputed heavily. Um, I think it's clear cut. I think most normal people would would argue that it's clear cut. But if you're like a freak on the right and uh, you uh, you try to justify this, well, I don't know how I can help you here, man. But he was being chased by some protesters. Uh, we don't know the uh, the inciting incident that led him to being chased, but I think we can infer from well, him. it was him shooting someone. <laughs> he started getting chased because he shot someone. He got, yes, well... That's from, got, from what I understand. Before he shot the first person, he was still being chased. I see, okay. Well, so, there, there, there is... he shot this guy, fucking, he didn't, he, this guy wasn't armed. This guy wasn't armed, yeah. he wasn't gonna fucking kill him. Uh, I wouldn't call it self-defense because he had no... And disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a law student, so if I may get a couple of things wrong, uh, fucking sue me. Uh, he... He he had no reasonable belief that his use of force was necessary and proportionate to uh, the fucking other the victim's uh, a, a aggression, quote unquote. Uh, but after he shot that guy, then more people chased him uh, because uh, they clearly wanted to, you know, not have any more people get fucking killed. And then he shot two more people. One guy with a skateboard. And then uh, he shot a medic who apparently was also armed. Uh, but again, kid probably didn't know the medic was armed. So not self-defense in that fucking point either. Um, and I'm not trying to obfuscate anything, but rather just kind of give a more accurate view of events that have happened and unfolded. But I think if you kind of just look at it in the macro sense, this is a young fascist who got in over his head, tried to, you know assert himself on people that he viewed as a danger to someone else's property, pissed them off, ran like a coward, panicked, and then shot three people, killing two of them. That's that's how I see it. I, I What I think is most interesting is how, like, he was on the phone with someone after the first shooting, and you can hear him say, I killed someone, I just killed someone. Um... I thought that was interesting. I want to know who he's on the phone with. So I, I was going to say, I think the more interesting stuff comes in with the with the uh, stuff in Portland. Oh, yeah. And I didn't really know. I didn't really read much on up much on uh, what had happened. Uh, I think you might know more about me uh, on that. So Yeah, well, for, okay. I can tell you what, I, from what I've seen and heard about Portland. Um, so... As you know, there were like Trump caravans going through Portland. There was like anti-fascist protesters and then the Trump supporters. But they, the Trump supporters had trucks and they, a lot of them appeared tacked out. So they had all their, their uh, LARPing you know, militia gear on. They had paintball guns, all kinds of stuff. They had mace. They were driving through crowds and macing people. Very dangerous stuff was going on. It was an escalation from what had been previously occurring in Portland. It was already um, uh, a little more violent in Portland than other areas in, in the country. Um, and then late, late in the night, um, a lot of people had dispersed. And then um, there's uh, this video emerged of someone appearing to spray something at someone and immediately getting shot after spraying them. So um, it was a di- it's a blurry video, 
but it certainly appears like um, this guy is macing someone, which would make perfect yeah. sense because the Trump supporters were decked out with mace and were yeah. macing people all day. So he sprays something, a huge cloud of mist goes toward this guy. They appear to be arguing, it's in the distance. And then the guy immediately uh, shoots him. Um, he, he apparently died very quickly after being shot. Um, and he was a member of the far right group Patriot Prayer, which is similar to the, the Boog and these other 3% Three percenters. It's one of these far right, and similar to Proud Boys, it's one of these far right uh, groups. Um, More authoritarian than a lot of the other uh, militia, from what I've heard. Uh, possibly, I don't know much about the, their distinctions, but I think what's most interesting is the right. Basically, just a few days ago, was spending all day on every social media, every news outlet they have, talking about how Kyle Rittenhouse was defending himself. And then basically what they, even in their minds, what the decision, what the situation with Kyle Rittenhouse was, gets flipped on its head, where a Trump supporter is tempting to mace another person, then gets shot. No one is, obviously, it, none of them argued for those protesters' right to self-defense in shooting. Oh, no, no, not at all. It's hypocrisy. And uh, yeah. it's, it's quite funny because uh, the, whole, the whole support for the right uh, behind Kyle Rittenhouse has been predicated upon his defense of property. And that's like a, a big thing on like the libertarian, right? Oh, he's defending property. He's uh, justified in using lethal force. Not, 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 you know, and of course that that's bull, complete bullshit because, you know, he's not even, he doesn't even own that property. It's not his job to fucking defend other people's property. Like it, it, it's a very, uh, a twisted, uh, I would say a uh, libertarian collectivist point of view that you could just fucking get a rifle and stand in front of like some random dude's property and say you're protecting it. Like, you know, it's, it's really, it's really just fucking bizarre um, as an argument, but yeah, no, they're not going to like defend any, any uh, people who shoot uh, right wingers in the face on the streets and call it self defense. They're not going to talk about how he exercised his unalienable right to protect his own life from uh, being maced. Uh, you know, it's, it's really telling that these people are willing to justify like the most heinous extra, extrajudicial killings uh, just because uh, uh, they're owning the libs or the socialists. They're killing commies, so it's okay. Like they they justify killing commies as an extension of protecting their fucking uh, private property based project. Uh, and and in, oh sorry. No, go ahead. No, and and in doing so, these right wing militia, these authoritarian militia, you know, like the threepers and the fucking and fucking patriot prayer. Uh, there, there, and and other assorted small groups, too many of which there are to name, uh, they're acting as like de facto police. Like in, in essence, there, 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 there's an understanding between a lot of these people, and uh, you know, police forces that they'll do the dirty work for the police. And this is evident in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, in in Kenosha specifically, like they were giving water bottles out to militia people. They were thanking them for being there. Like they, they seem to like rely uh, heavily on, on, on the militia to like kind of intimidate protesters. It's kind of like, a, in a sense, outsourcing state violence to these, uh, you know, rabid right-wing authoritarians. But yeah, uh, they really have no right to call themselves libertarians if they're carrying out state violence on, on just a purely, 
purely political, like theoretical level. Like it's it's all facade. It's all bullshit. And you know, quote unquote journalists like Andy No and uh, uh, Ian Miles uh, Chang and uh, who else? The fucking Destiny, Tim Pool, fucking all these shitheads you know fuck them yeah. they they're 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 all fascists too and they're all justifying yeah. that under the guise of protecting property but that's uh, that's yeah. my take right i there. was i think ian miles chong was like the the one that made me realize like oh like this is what people mean when they say grifter see i didn't really like fully i don't know absorb that concept of like, what is a grifter i didn't really get that term but it i really got it when i like was reading ian miles chong's stuff on both Ken- kenosha i don't know how to pronounce it a kenosha and, and Portland, where like, you know, he was the perfect, he was the quintessential example of the guy who was just saying like, oh my God, these fucking animals, like the, they're, the, the Antifa people were clearly, you know, ki- killing Kyle Rittenhouse and they were clear, he was at, clearly acting in self-defense. Um, it's just like, and then, you know, flipping it completely and just saying, how dare these people just shoot someone in cold blood in Portland? Uh, they shot a patriot, this and that. Um, and just like absolutely i was i was gonna and the reason it made me realize like oh this is a grifter is because there's like there's no way someone can be that non-self-aware you know like he has to understand that like the massive gulf and you know hypocrisy between you know saying one thing about something that's you know saying saying these two completely you know different things (laughs) yeah Yeah, so do you think there's gonna be a civil war (laughs) I fucking hope not. I I don't think there's. Gonna be I don't think there would only because I mean we're kind of seeing violence play out right now. I think it'll get worse, but I think at the end of the day, uh, this is this is a conflict that I think is 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 not a very fair one in terms of just uh, the, in terms of just power dynamics, between the left and the right specifically the right's always going to have the backing of police departments and the left is not going to be so organized. I do think the left should arm up. I do think, you know, for the sake of self-defense, I mean, fucking right-wingers are going to be throwing out that uh, argument. We might as well just use it too. Uh, There need to be, you know, armed groups protecting a lot of protesters to make sure that there is no fuckery on the right. And I do see a sort of uh, mutually assured destruction doctrine playing on the ground at a lot of these protests, because if both sides are just as armed against each other, nobody's going to fire a shot. That's going to guarantee a lot of deaths. But then there's also, again, the question of, you know, what, what, what the police's role will be in a lot of these street fights. And uh, it just seems that a lot of the time uh, the the police are, are just, uh, letting the right do, you know, dirty fucking violence on their behalf. Like they can only do so much uh, on the, on the cop side before public opinion just overwhelmingly turns on them. Like it did a few months ago. Um, And even worse degree if people just start getting killed on mass. But yeah, I think that itself is kind of just a deterrent to just a complete devolution uh, towards a civil war. And on top of that, I mean, this is this is a country that isn't exactly like geographically uh, favorable to having a civil war on this basis. Uh, Yeah, there will be a series of conflicts in a few cities where where tensions flare up, but I don't think it'll it'll be like a, a such a formal conflict as it was like back in the 1860s or or even like in. Uh, Syria, because 
like there there is no actual like national coordination here all of this all of these things are happening independently um but what i do think will happen is just uh uh probably more martial law <laughs> if things heat up uh more that's that's what i think will happen um but again, I'm not like a military expert or anything, so take my point of view with a with a grain of salt. But it doesn't seem to me that that it'll it'll get to like civil war territory. It's just we're just gonna probably see like a, a soft coup uh, in terms of uh, our own personal liberties, because at the end of the day, the military is just gonna step in, put a stop to it. Uh, people are probably going to die in the onset of that intervention. And then uh, there's just going to be a forced peace. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a civil war. Yeah. I was just saying that like, like jokingly. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> no, I mean like, oh, well, I mean, I think it's you, people, other people are saying it kind of like not rhetorically, yeah. uh, not, not tons of people, but like, I think a lot of people say like, Oh, you know, we're an advanced liberal bourgeois democ industrialized democracy, and we're seeing political violence. Like we've never seen that. Does this mean we're in a civil war? Um, so I, I mean, they're saying a lot. Some people are, uh, you know, alluding to that possibility. Um, yeah, but I think Americans are too lazy to have a civil war. I think it's literally it's it's that simple. Like, I mean, what? Why? Why would you choose to have a war in your own country when you can go home and watch Netflix and sports ball? Yeah. So I, I don't I don't really and, and moreover forget the civil war concept like I don't really think that political violence is really going to flare up too much um, like I, I, I saw someone I forgot some journalist said I, I'm afraid uh, Kyle Rittenhouse opened the floodgates to many more shootings after you know Portland um, and I don't get the feeling that that's correct either. Um, I, I think it could be. I don't know exactly. I, I, I get the feeling that maybe there's a couple more, a couple incidents similar. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly. I, I just feel like, I feel like, I almost want to say, this is going to sound so liberal, but I feel like we kind of have, actually, I shouldn't say that's way too liberal. I'm, I'm about to go full liberal right now. I don't know. Oh, man. I was going to say, I feel like America does kind of have a democratic culture, which even though we've seen eroded, um, I feel like I, I, it, it could like, it could like, you know, prevent more people from dying in the sense that like people understand like, all right, like what are we really gaining from just shooting people? You know, like, and Again, I don't think, re yeah, I don't know. Well, I, like, think, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Good. No, I think what you're trying, like, what you're trying to get at is that uh, even with all this shit happening, uh, Americans have kind of surprised everybody. Well, not everybody, but they've kind of, I guess, surprised the world with how resilient their complacency is. Uh, yeah, it's all, yeah, yeah. Exactly. it's almost like they're too complacent to keep, to escalate. Like both Democrats and Republicans, they're just oh, like, for sure. do we really want to like have this much of a conflict? Like they're like, oh yeah, they're okay enough with Trump being like, oh yeah, fuck the press. Like uh, maybe I'll stay in power forever. Like just jokingly being a dictator. Yeah. Um, but they're not, but, but when it comes to like, oh, should we just like keep shooting people? Do I really want this conflict on my hands? Do I really want to deal with this when I could be watching Netflix and sports ball? I feel like Americans, again, like you said, are too complacent. And like I said, kind of just too lazy to lean into that concept too, too much. I mean, you think about like um, 
the amount of people that are like, I, no one would really say like, oh, I want a civil war. I want more conflict. I want more political violence. But there's people who definitely lean into that. I think maybe like, I don't know, 7% of people on the right and like 2% of people on the left are like, oh, it's it's on now. Like, you better grab your gun and get, get fucking ready. It's war now. Like, nobody's real. Like, that's, that's such a small amount of people that are saying that. Um, the vast majority of people are like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't. They, they see these people shot one on the Trump side and one on the, you know, protester side. And they're just like, Oh fuck. Like, I don't know. I don't, like, they're, and they're criticizing it, you know? So I don't know. I feel like there's, yeah, I could be wrong. You, who, who the fuck knows? Maybe we'll be living in a, you know, a civil war America. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. And I think my, my, my view of it is I don't even think you need like that big, that big of a portion of the population to spark, further conflict though i mean it's true like two to seven percent of either side deciding to arm up and escalate i think that itself is probably enough to like to push things into higher gear um but like i like you said i do think complacency is is only going to persist so long as the status quo allows for there to be some some material outs of like worst case scenarios for people like if people continue to get little crumbs I think that the uh, the cultural um, sort of uh, consensus of uh, you know bootstrapping your way out of poverty is is still going to be compelling, um, and and I'm not going to argue for uh, accelerationism here and say well let's let's see if they just cut off the crumbs completely and maybe then people will will arm up and rise and and fight back. I I don't want that to happen. But what I'm what I'm saying is that the left needs to build a solid case for saying you should also say fuck crumbs like to prevent these things from getting out of hand you should also be demanding more and uh yeah no i think you're right in the sense that uh that there is general complacency i wouldn't necessarily agree that it comes from like you know laziness like in the abstract i just think that nobody wants to really rock the boat because people are afraid of the unknown like yeah, you know right. we've yeah we've never really crossed the the rubicon into uh oh our uh have we've never really truly fought like not since like the civil war not certainly not since on our like, own territory yeah on our own territory like we never truly like had those big fights i mean we've had the civil rights movement where there were you know conflicts in the streets almost daily uh but that that itself was you know again like it was otherized you know well that's why 9 11 was, was so traumatic yeah uh because people thought it could never happen here uh, we, we just thought that's something we do to other people yeah no that that was like kind of like an ego blow that was like our our fucking uh, the iraq war and like the war in afghanistan and our our ensuing like imperial uh projects post 9 11 were were just sort of just like a temper tantrum against against just the general you know middle east saying oh you did this to us fuck you we're just gonna wreck yeah. everything like that's why you know support for those wars skyrocketed up because i mean <laughs> it's it's americans i think have been bred to be a truly rabid people and i'm not saying that every every american who is easily swayed by the political establishment is like that but what i am saying that collectively we do support some pretty heinous shit. And when that's challenged, we're more comfortable with looking away because we're scared of one, taking responsibility for what we've done. And two, 
potentially losing, you know, what we view as power in the process when really nobody's really powerful. Every, most people are actually very powerless. It's, it, there's, there's just an illusion of power that, that has been just culturally pushed onto uh, the masses you know, like it's the old, the old Republican adage from, from the nineties that Newt Gingrich pushed, you know, if we're not a country of haves and have nots, we're a country of haves and soon to haves, you know, that's, that's the, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's mentality. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. That's the kind of mentality we need to push against because it's like, no, it's, you are not going to be, you're not going to be millionaires. You're not going to be fucking getting on boats with fucking Trump flags and supporting. Yeah. Someone our once said president. you're closer to homelessness than you will ever be to a, being a billionaire. Yes. So you should probably stop defending them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I completely agree with that, man. Like, yeah, no, like I, yeah, like, like you said, I think that's the foundation upon which complacency is built. Like we don't want to change things, not because, we're really comfortable per se. We just don't want to change things because we think we have a shot. We still think we have a shot. And I think it's that, that whole, you know, American dream myth that's been so toxic and poisonous, you know, to the health of this country, because it's, it's sort of like just a national denial, you know, like a sense of denial that, that we've, we've just, we just don't want to admit that we're fucked up and that things should be better because if we do, then I think that'll just create a greater existential crisis, you know? <laughs> like, what was the point of all of this? <laughs> and right. nobody wants to go through that. But, I mean, that's that's my kind of long-winded uh, 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 take on that. Yeah. Well, Belarus, I don't have anything to add about Belarus. Belarus is, like, like, like one of the only post-Soviet, like, satellite states with, like, an almost complete almost complete state control of its own like yeah production. exactly which is yeah. probably why they hate it absolutely so like i i feel like we're between a rock and a hard place here because you know lukashenko has been been pretty fucking repressive but also like yeah. the neoliberals are on the other side waiting to privatize everything so yeah <laughs> well i'm starting to think like kind of like the old i don't know how how like it almost feels like the old way of uh, understanding like global politics in that sense is is like it's dated like the leftist way of like oh well you know it's resisting the west and it has state control kind of like Syria so therefore um, I don't know it's a good it might it's good like yeah I think I, I think I guess more specifically what I should say is like the leftist messaging on that really needs to be precise because you really cannot in this day where like liberal democratic norms are so ubiquitous yeah. you can't sound like that you can't sound like you're defending a dictator or you lose all legitimacy absolutely and i i think it's it's not wrong to say like oh belarus has mostly state control that's why the west hates it they don't care that he's a dictator yeah. they just care that about the economic um model that he's using and they don't want that model to exist anywhere on earth um that's you need to just stop it right there. But like, <laughs> they they go, a lot of times it goes a little too far into 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 like, you know, uh, stuff that sounds rhetoric that sounds a little too justifying of of the regime. I definitely agree, and, and there's also people who go in and defend DPRK, which is like, 
it, it's its own thing. <laughs> you don't have to yeah, say that the Kims are good. <laughs> you don't have to say the Kims. I mean, I joke half the time about, uh, Ju- you know, we need to bring Juche here and shit. But like, uh, you know, Juche gang is bad, folks. Like, uh, uh, I'm not saying that. I do think that you know, rational actor theory plays a role here, and that the Kims did did like justifiably isolate themselves from the rest of the world because they didn't want the project to fucking die. But then the Kims themselves just, you know they did hoard wealth. Like they did, they did generate a class system in in the DPRK, uh, the democratic people's Republic of Korea. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's really not defendable. Same thing with, you know, Xi Jinping, like, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of misinformation surrounding like uh, the tension of Uyghurs, but at the same time, it's like, they're also detained. It's it's also happening. Like, They're not and like killing a, three million people, is, but they're they're detaining a lot though. Like yeah. it's bad. It's something the Chinese government admits to doing. Yeah. Um. It's just, it, they they admit that they're detaining lots and lots of people. It's the severity, I guess, is, is, is some what exactly they're doing to them is up up for debate. But uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, just the fact that they admit it is. It's yeah, pretty bad. And it, bad. Like I wouldn't listen to Falun Gong and believe. Uh, like on its face that they're selling people's organs but at the same time like it's yeah <laughs> yeah they're at the same time it's like it's comparable to what we're doing you know at our southern border like to separating families uh-huh. and shit like the i would argue they're similar projects uh not necessarily to the point of outright and i mean again we don't know what's going on it could be fucking like fucking murder happening there like we we, but we don't fucking know but i don't want to fucking be a straight out denialist either like a lot of folks are on twitter like um, i i feel like i i I would like to know what's going on there because our 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 state department propaganda machine is 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 definitely like exacerbating a lot what's going on there and then their state department propaganda machine is just downplaying you know a lot of the blatant human rights abuses happening there um I guess this is just like a general conversation about like <laughs> like uh, about how we view international governments, uh, the left internationally, because I think that's like a cudgel that the right and and the enlightened center, quote unquote, likes to push against socialists. Like, oh, socialism leads to repression. It leads to 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 authoritarianism in every. Yeah, there's case. never been a capitalist dictatorship. Yeah, no, like uh, Saudi Arabia. There's definitely. never been. There's never been several hundred of those all over the globe for as long as we can as long as capitalism has existed well absolutely not pinochet was actually a very peaceful and good guy folks the helicopter rides they they, they just took him up and uh, showed them the beautiful yeah. scenery of uh, of chile they, they did nothing they didn't <laughs> uh, this is, uh, that was irony folks you know the pinochet is bad he's just, it's fucking awful and, and every every right winger who talks about talks about pinochet in a positive light is probably a fascist and you should definitely fucking like tell them to go fuck themselves um yeah dude All right. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's just a conversation we can have. Anything else? Or? I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah, good shit.